This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, but I will meditate therein day and night. I will observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then my way shall be prosperous, and then I will have good success. Tell somebody I'm getting ready to be blessed. Amen. You may take your seats. Okay, I need you all to tap in with me early, okay? I don't need you to warm up. I hope that you're already warm. Amen. You've been running the car for a little while already, okay? Let's put it in drive. Data processing. We're looking, we're looking at Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. I'm glad to see all of you tonight managing the rain tonight. Thank God for you getting here safe. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus. There was some argument whether he was talking to them or not, but it's pretty much clear the enough of data has been accumulated by the historians to determine that it was, in fact, him teaching and sending us a letter to the church at Ephesus. This is also one of those letters uh, that he preached uh, from a jailhouse. Uh, that he wrote to the church. And he's addressing uh, a people who, um, in Ephesus, uh, before he came and evangelized the area, of course, they were Gentiles. Yeah. Or they are Gentiles, let me say it like that. So he comes into the area, <coughs> evangelizes the area, and in the book of Acts, we see that account. And we find that many have been won to the Lord and he's ministering now to them by way of letter. And uh, he's talking to them concerning conduct, concerning their behavior. Amen. And um, I want to get into um, his dialogue that he's having with them at this particular time. And then we see him talking to the church at Rome and in the eighth chapter. And as he's talking to them about a new life, a new spiritual life in Christ Jesus, freeing them from a lot of the, the the law uh, type of uh, bondages, um, freeing them from that type of thinking and teaching them about the message of God's grace, God's love and grace. Um, and he's talking to them and as he shares with them about, <coughs> about this new spiritual life and how to win uh, in living a spiritual, spiritually driven life, he, in, he talks towards the end there in verse 31 and he says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, then who can be against us? And that particular passage, I just kind of raise up to use principally with what we're talking about in data processing. Because it is important that um, we're in a position to respond to anything that shows up at our doorstep. See, that's, that's what this is about. How are we responding to the information, to all of the stuff that's out there, the stuff that comes at us, the stuff that comes against us? What are we saying to it? What are we saying to it? How are we addressing it? And I submit to you that we have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind to be able to address those things adequately. Okay? With me? Okay. Covered a lot of ground last week. Just kind of really gave you my heart in the introduction last week. Um, (coughs) Pick up the CD, catch my heart in that. Okay? I don't know why I was listening to it. It seemed like that guy that was preaching and teaching last week just so fired up. I don't know what was wrong with, I don't know what was wrong with that guy, that dude, but just fired up. And 
I have to admit, I was going after the devil last week, just going after some, you know, just, just not only the devil, but some forces, you know what I mean, that just really try to trip up our processing, you know? So the purpose, uh, again, <coughs> excuse me, the purpose of our lesson on data processing uh, is to help us to understand that decision-making is critical to the action that will be taken. That decision-making um, will be or is critical to the action that will be taken. It's important. Whatever decision I make, that decision has a corresponding action to it. Amen? So I got to make sure that I'm making right choices or right decisions. If I make right decisions, I'll have right actions. Okay? Right decisions comes from right thinking. So being renewed in the spirit of our mind is important. <clears throat> we define this whole idea of data processing as a process, it is the processing of information, uh, particularly or especially the handling of information. Of course, we know from the computer world, the handling of information by computers, and this is the thing that I like, in accordance with strictly defined systems of procedure. Oh, that's too good, and I'll tell you why in a minute. I'll say that again. That data processing is the processing of information, particularly or especially the handling of information by computers, okay, I'll call computers the mind, in accordance with strictly defined systems of procedure. That's data processing. We looked at Philippians 2 and 5, and we found there that, <coughs> that Paul encouraged us and told us that we are to let this mind or allow the mind of Christ, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right? We looked also at Matthew chapter number 6, starting at verse number 25, and we were on our way taking a journey from 25 down to about 32, 33. I think we got probably around 27 or something like that, and we just, just had a great time in that. And that was really about, again, our thought processing. You know, the Bible says, take no thought. And I was really after that particular passage that said, take no thought by saying. Take no thought by saying. In other words, establishing what you're thinking. And, of course, that whole, that whole uh, piece there that Jesus is teaching on the Sermon of the Mount, he was really talking about anxiety and worry. Okay. And the whole essence, again, I brought these two scriptures to bear, 2 and 5 of Philippians and Matthew 6, 25. I brought it to bear just to, again, raise up the, the importance of understanding uh, the power of thinking, how we think, okay. our decision-making, thinking, okay? really, really, really important. And we can't, uh, you know, what, uh, the whole process of thinking, we, we, we can't respond well, we could, but we shouldn't, as believers, respond in the wrong manner about the information coming in. Amen. You can hear a lot of things. What do we say to uh, a pink slip on a job? If you get one, what do you say to that? Some people fall out and can't make it. Get a pink slip, fall out, can't make it. I've had some phone calls, though, to come in. Pastor, guess what? I said, what happened? I just uh, got laid off. 
and then, that, that, then you hear the phone move away from their mouth, and you hear, hallelujah! <laughs> you know, then they come back to the phone. Excuse me, pastors, I just had to holler one time. <laughs> you know, but then you have others who can't make it. They can't hardly make it. I don't know what I'm going to do now. I've got all these bills. Okay. Of course, we looked at six, Matthew chapter 6, and we, just, we understood we got it backwards. God's going to take care of all the necessities. Okay. Only Gentiles seek after the other things. Gentiles seek after how they're going to pay their bills. <laughs> okay. All right. So, now I want to move into, I said last week that I want to now, that tonight I want to go into and be more critical in our thinking and in our unpacking of the scripture starting at verse number 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. So let's do that. Okay. Let's do that. We'll take it as far as we can for the time that we have <coughs> left. Ephesians four seventeen. Okay. We're going to go in there and just kind of rip it up a little bit. Talk about it. Okay. Verse 17 says, this I say, Paul says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Paul is talking to a group of Converted Gentiles, believers, okay? Those who are now believers. They're Gentiles, but they're believers now. And so Paul reaches out to them, and he says to them, walk not. When he says walk not, he's not talking about physically walking legs and feet. He's talking about their behavior and conduct. So he's saying now, there is a certain behavior that you should have now that you are a believer. Take nothing away, and just follow me, take nothing away that you are a Gentile. Okay? And a Gentile, of course, is what is known as a person without a covenant with God. Which means they have no rights with God. Okay. There are no entitlements. Okay, there is no you, you're you're not, if you, if you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. Okay, if you're not Jewish, <coughs> excuse me, if you're not Jewish, then you are a Gentile. Okay, which is also known. I said this on Sunday as heathen as well. You're heathen. You're a person without a covenant. Okay, he says I take nothing away. That by nature, you were born not, you were born a non-Jew. He says, but, but now that you are converted, born again, you cannot walk or have behavior like you used to. Now, you have to, you got you to jump into their mindset and in their culture now. That's not easy. You got to understand, he... That what he's asking of them and sharing with them is not something that is a reflex. That's not something that is easy to do. 
I am born a Gentile. There is a culture that surrounds and that, and that guides my behavior as one. Okay? You've convinced me by the preaching of the gospel to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. So now my heart's open, my heart's alive, my spirit's alive. I belong to God now through Jesus Christ. Jesus is my Lord. Y'all with me? I get that. But now you're asking me to abandon my behavior from what I was brought up in. So Paul, Paul is telling them, he says, you cannot walk or have the behavior like the culture that you were brought up in. If I can just pause right here and just talk to us for a second. Where were you born? I'm, not, I'm ahead of myself. I got to be careful because I'm so ahead of myself right now. But let's look at the neighborhood you grew up in, the family you were born in. Okay? What was, what was the way the household, what was, how was the household run that you came up in? What was it like in your house? What was it like in your neighborhood? What was it like in the schools that you went to? What was it like on the streets? What was it like financially? What did you have or did not have? See, and many of us, because we didn't have a whole lot, we love Jesus now. And we think because we love Jesus now, that's enough. And so we love Jesus, but we're still behaving like we don't have anything. We're still behaving like we are still impoverished. We're behaving, come on, we're behaving like, and I, I, I have to say this, what I'm going to say now. I have to, okay? I don't mean anything about it, but I have to say this. We're still behaving like the injustice that came to us. That was pretty nice when I said that. We're behaving like the injustice that, that came to us. We're behaving like the abuse that happened to us. I'm born again, but I still act like I'm abused. Y'all with me? Didn't have a father, don't know my father. Now I'm born again, I'm still acting like I don't have a father. I'm just trying to bring you in now to the thinking of the people that Paul is communicating and ministering to right now. He's asking them not to behave like their normal culture. That's not an easy task that he's asking them. But he works on them, and that's what I want to deal with. He he works on them. He goes into detail. Y'all still with me? It goes into detail with them. Watch this. Converted Gentiles must not live as unconverted Gentiles do. Watch this. Though they live among them, they must not live like them. Though they have to interact with them on a daily and live in the community on a daily, 
They cannot live like them. He says, what do you mean? He says, in the vanity of their mind. That's where I want to get to. So if we're going to deal with points, point number one, the vanity of their mind. Let's deal with that. (coughs) In the vanity of their mind. The word that you hear in vanity is the word vain. When you hear vain, the thing that comes and associates with the word vain now is doing that, embracing that, acting upon that which is not productive to your life. It's living in such a way that the things that you do, the things that you engage in, They are not productive to the building up of your life to a better life. (coughs) Y'all with me? It means that the things that I'm engaged in, the things that I'm employed in, does not have profitability to my real life. Paul talks in a couple of places in Corinthians. He says it in chapter 6. Ooh, I think around verse number... Oh, come on, Hodge. Um, okay, let's go there. First Corinthians, go there with me real quickly. First Corinthians chapter number 6. I think it's verse 12. I didn't plan this. This is kind of just chasing what the Holy Spirit brought up. First Corinthians chapter six. Yes, verse 12. He says in verse 12, watch this. All things are lawful. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 12. <coughs> all things are lawful. Y'all see that? Yeah. Under me. But all things are not, come on, expedient. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Watch how it says it in the Amplified, verse 12. Everything is permissible, watch this, allowable and lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, good for me to do, expedient and profitable, oh my God, when considered with other things. Then he goes on and says, everything is lawful for me, but I will not become the slave of anything or be brought under its power. Go to chapter 10, same letter. Look at verse 23. Verse 23, are you there? He says, all things are lawful for me, But all things are not, there it is again, expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things, come on, edify not. All things are lawful, but they don't edify me. They don't build me up. Amplified says it like this. All things are legitimate, permissible, and we are free to do anything we please. But not all things are helpful, expedient, profitable and wholesome all things are legitimate but not all things are constructive to character 
and edifying to spiritual life. So when we're talking about what Paul's telling them back there in Ephesians chapter 4, when he's telling them not to walk as the Gentiles walk, he's talking about the conduct, their behavior, how they handle business, how they manage life. So don't do that. He says, how? In the vanity of their minds. In other words, engaging in things that don't bring profitability to your life. It has nothing, it adds nothing to your life, but you have set your life up on it. And watch what the vanity of the mind does. I'm going to keep building. Y'all still with me, right? The vanity of the mind says, I'm going to make me a greater life. I want to have the best in life, but it also says by doing things that are not profitable for my life. But because I'm not even there, but I'll say it. But because they're 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 darkened. (laughs) I'm trying not to get there yet. I'm trying to keep it set. But because they're darkened in their mind, they don't know it. So then to get ahead, you do things That are not right. But I don't know it's not right because I grew up in it. I see others do it. They made money off of it. They got over doing it. So then if I'm going to have a great life, I'm going to do this because doing this produces a great life. And the valley of the mind says, I'm going to block it. You don't even know that it's unprofitable to your real life. It will never bring you to the fulfillment of who you are by design. So it's very deceptive. The valley of your mind is very deceptive. And if you know anything about deceit or being deceptive or being deceived, it's, it's the whole idea of tricking you without you know I'm tricking you. to be deceived is the essence of getting over on you. It's in your face and you don't know I'm doing something. You don't know I'm hurting you while I'm in your face. Because I'm giving you eyeball contact. We got eye to eye. Smiling in your face. Come on, OJs. (coughs) All the time want to take your place. Come on. Jody started that, so y'all get him. I was trying to be spiritual. He, he took me to, I'm some kidding. But that's what the vanity of your mind. Paul is saying, you are born again now. Your behavior cannot be as it was. I know you have to live amongst them, but you cannot live like them anymore. You must abandon cultural things that don't align itself with the new life, the word of God. Boy, this is good. So it's really employing, vanity of their mind is really employing life through means that are unprofitable to their soul. Everybody say soul. Everybody say soul. soul. Say it again. Say soul. soul. 
in this case now, soul, yeah, it's life, but it's more pertaining to the second component of your mind. I'm sorry. Of your soul. Here it is. Of, it's, it's the second component. Let me just get this right here. It's not talking about life, but it's talking about where your mind, your will, your imaginations, your emotions, and your intellect is. That's better. So the main three, your mind, will, and emotions. Okay, so when it's referring to soul here, it's not just generally talking about your life as a being, but it's talking about your mind, your will, your emotions, your intellect. Okay, main three, mind, will, emotions. Okay, the other two is intellect, imagination. Okay, so he's saying now, (coughs) he's telling them that there's something wrong with how you think. Something wrong with your emotional system. Something wrong with your will. The gate of your behavior room. Okay. So he says now, <clears throat> employing life through means that are unprofitable to the soul. The system that guided them, those who are not born again, Gentiles, the system that guided them was a system built upon idolatry. Built upon idolatry and worldly possessions. So based upon idolatry and worldly possessions, there is this thinking that that will bring me success. But because it's vain, it is deceptive to their expectation. They never arrive there. When they get there, they realize, when they get to whatever that there is, they realize that wasn't it anyway. Because now they want more. And now they want more. And now they want more because that didn't satisfy. I want more. I want more because it's got to be more than that. It was okay being me, but now I want to be Michael Jackson. It was okay being me. Michael Jackson's gone. Now I want to be Jay-Z. First it was me. Now I want to, and then I wanted to be Whitney Houston. Well, it's not Whitney Houston anymore. Now I want to be Beyonce. Then I get to that place now where I have to sign documents. Now I'm going to sell my soul now. I'm going to sell my soul. If I want to go to that next level, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised with some of these organizations, some, some of these companies at the top. If you want to have superstardom, that's what you really want, you can get it. You just sign right here. And who I worship, the devil, will empower you. To be that. I got you now. That's why some of these contracts control you. I'm not even there. Okay, it's the story again of the rich young ruler. 
<coughs> he wanted to know how to gain eternal life, remember? Jesus said, no problem. Here's what you got to do. Sell all you have, give to the poor. Bible says he walked away in sorrow. Because, watch, watch how the King James, because he had great riches. You know what the real deal was? Because the great riches had him. He lived based upon success in life came by possessions. That's tangible. You can touch that. Eternal life, I want it, but I can't touch it. And you mean to tell me to get it, I got to give, give away everything I have to the poor? He didn't see the return on that giving. He saw giving up his life. And he liked his life the way it was. Thank you very much. But he hung his head in sorrow and he walked away. And that's how it is for many. So just think in terms of this now. Just think in terms of giving your life to the Lord now. Now you're saved Right now you're saved now. Right. And now this expectation that you have that uh, things are going to be great now, everything will be perfect. And you hear Jesus tell you, well, give me everything you got. And you will watch people behave like they used to behave. Believers, they will act like the Gentiles they used to be. Now, all I'm doing is making sure that we're engaged in the scripture, understanding what Paul is, what, <coughs> the audience that Paul is talking to. Okay? I'm going to stay connected. Y'all still with me, right? Yeah. All right, let's keep rolling. Now, he says there in verse number 18, he says, 17 says, for this I... For this, excuse me, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. Verse 18, having, this is how they were, having the understanding darkened. So if you're going to write number two, go ahead and write number two. Darkened understanding. Okay. He says, having the understanding darkened. Darkened. Let me stop right there. Let's dig into that for just a second. I have a statement. Catch this statement. Prevailing ignorance fosters a blind future. Boy, the Holy Spirit's good. I was sitting there meditating on this lesson. He dropped that right in my spirit. Boom. I said, I got that. Thank you, Lord. Prevailing ignorance fosters a blind future. Prevailing ignorance fosters a blind future. Simply means if you continue to nurture ignorance, you will grow a blind future. You will get into your future blind, still ignorant, still out of touch.
I have another statement. (laughs) Ignorance of God causes one to maximize in the world. Ignorance of God causes one to maximize in the world. The more you don't know about God, the greater you become in the world. Watch what God says to his people in Hosea chapter 4, verse number 6. He says, my people are destroyed. Why? For the lack of knowledge. Could you put that up for me, please? Hosea chapter 4, verse number 6. Give me the King James Version, and I think, I think the um, Amplified has it, says it a little different, but let's look at the King James Version. My people are destroyed. Destruction comes to my people. Why? Because of a lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge is the same word as ignorance. See, Many times we've adopted ignorance to be, to call someone, you know, stupid or dumb. But true ignorance is to lack knowledge. So my people are destroyed or my people suffer destruction because of the lack of knowledge, what they don't know, because of ignorance. He said, because thou hast rejected, come on, knowledge, I will also, come on, reject thee that thou shalt be no more priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. That's a big, that's a serious principle enacted, okay, of consequence. Okay, now, verse 6 is the state of the Gentiles in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Okay, Now, what he's talking about in chapter 4 of Ephesians to the believing Gentiles, he is saying that those who are not believing Gentiles, who are unconverted Gentiles, (coughs) they are still unconverted because on purpose they have rejected knowledge. They They are darkened They are darkened because purposely they don't want it. They're rejecting. And as a result of rejecting knowledge, look at what it says. God says, I will also, come on, reject thee. Give me Amplified. Let me see if it says it any differently. It's pretty much the same. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Now, let's go back. Let's go back. Remember the statements I gave. Prevailing ignorance fosters a blind future. Ignorance of God causes one to maximize in the world. Okay. He says in verse 18, having the understanding darkened, or in other words, Ignorance. As a result of ignorance, 
Here's what happens, comma, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Okay? The ignorance that they are walking in or living in, operating in, causes them to be alienated from the life of God. Alienated from the life of God. That means that they are strangers to the life of God or that they are estranged to the life of God. Now, when we're talking about the life of God, now I'm... Told you we're going to unpack this, right? Concerning the life of God or, or <coughs> excuse me, alienated from the life of God talks about, the, or the life of God refers to or talks about the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Now, the holiness of God you can put this in parenthesis or however you want to break it out. The holiness of God deals with the truth of God, the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, and the purity of God. I'll say it again. It deals with the truth of God, <laughs> the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the purity of God. So when, as they are alienated from the life of God, the life of God is holiness. What's holiness, pastor? Purity, righteousness, truth, goodness. Those are the, that's the goodness of God, the purity of God, the righteousness of God, the truth of God. As we're looking at it from this text. Y'all still with me? Am I losing anybody in this? Okay, there's purpose to, to going through it like this. Okay, and because of time, I'm going to I'm going to do do this uh, because of time. Um, oh man, this is so good. Okay, when you're estranged from God, it is the idea that. You are not, <laughs> you are not where you were designed to be. When you are estranged from anything, really, it is that you are not where you were designed to be. And when you are not where you are designed or supposed to be, if, if you will, you have this disdain and dislike for the ways and things of God. There is this disdain and dislike for the ways and things of God. So in other words, when you are, when you are alienated from the life of God, you are an enemy of God. Everything that God is for, you are against.
Anything, <coughs> I'll say it like this, anything that God is for, you are against. When you are alienated from the life of God. You have this disdain and dislike for the things and ways of God. It's corny. It's dumb. It's whack. I don't know what the new lingo is now. It's been updated, I'm sure. <laughs> huh? Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> pop old anyway. Um, <laughs> there, there's this, there is this dislike, there is this challenge to, there is this, this, you know, it just doesn't fit. We challenge it. We are at enmity with God. We are an enemy with him. We're just against it when we are alienated from the life of God. Paul is taking all of this and he's talking to converted Gentiles. And he's trying to reveal to them, show them how they were before they were converted and how that they cannot behave themselves that way anymore. Paul says, we're not teaching you that. You've not learned that of God. In other words, that's not the ways of God. I'm going to give you two words, and then we will start, we'll, we'll come into these two words next week when we come to Bible study, because I'm going to end now. Write these two words down. Debauchery. <laughs> Debauchery, D-E. <laughs> Debauchery, D-E-B-A-U-C-H-E-R-Y. Debauchery. The second word is seared, S-E-A-R-E-D, seared. Those two terms we're going to connect with the third component of the mind, which is the conscience. The conscience, the conscience. Okay, I want to connect those two there. Because that is the condition of unconverted Gentiles. And he's saying if you act like an enemy of God and you are a believer, you're acting like you are people who have, who, who debauchery lives in and seared conscience you have. Okay. So we're going to, uh, I'm going to stop there, but we'll pick that up. Um, we'll pick that up. Okay. We'll pick it up next week from that point. Okay, we'll end when we come back together next week. We'll end with the last piece about, you know, alienated from the life of God. Because I want to talk about the kind of destruction that that does. And then we'll segue right into this whole idea of the next verse 
in the scripture uh, that talks about who being past feeling. That little, little phrase, who being past feeling. That little phrase right there connects it to those two words that we're going to deal with, debauchery and seer. Okay, then we'll keep running from there. And I'm just really unpacking this because I want us to <laughs> understand that this all has to do with data processing. Processing the data, the information that comes in. How do we handle it as believers? Amen? All right, y'all receive that? All right, let's lock it in. Let's lock it in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. As we unpack the scripture and look at these verses, verse by verse, Lord, speak to us out of it. And help us to understand how different we are as a result of being in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to understand that our reliance is no longer on our own mind, our own self, our own ability. But now our reliance is on you. Thank you, Jesus. So now we just say and declare that we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. And the way Christ deals with every issue, we deal with every issue. How he responds to matters, likewise, we respond to matters. So we thank you now for the mind of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, bless the Lord, everybody. Praise God. Now, I hope I'm not too, too deep with this. And, you know, um, next week when you have your TLC, I want you all to tear this up for lunch. I want you all to eat this. I want you all to just work this. I want to hear the groups with, filled with excitement and with understanding of what we're uh, discussing. All right. Amen. All right. Let's prepare ourselves for our time of giving.